Numbers chapter 6, uh, here uh, Moses continues to receive these messages uh, from the Lord, these directives for the nation of Israel. I find this one to be very significant uh, personally, a lot of application here, and then also a number of things to understand uh, scripturally about individuals and circumstances within the Word of God. So, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice or eat fresh grapes or raisins all the days of his separation. He shall eat nothing that is produced by the grape vine from seed to skin. So, uh, radical resolve regarding raisins, apparently, you know, um, something to consider. Within this, um, the real element that is being dwelt upon is wine, in particular, and the intoxication from wine. Within that, everything associated with what produces intoxication, in this case, the grape, and everything associated with it. So uh, it's interesting to me that the Lord puts this vow out here for those who uh, want to take the Nazarite vow. Uh, I want to point something out in regard to the scripture. Uh, The Lord starts out by saying, if a man or woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite, and then immediately reverts to saying, to separate himself to the Lord, right? So the Lord himself uh, is uh, demonstrating that he refers to the human race as mankind, or, you know, in this case, men or women, he refers to as himself. He's talking the individual, this whole PC thing that our culture is doing is, well, it's as ridiculous as we all feel like it is. Right? The, the point, if we want to have discussions about what pronouns we should be using and shouldn't be using, is there's no malice in God's heart as he records these things. We culturally, we want to do whatever we're going to do as far as how we talk and refer to one another. Okay, we can have that discussion, but please don't try to imply that somehow God is sexist, right? I mean, he here tells us if a man or a woman wants to take this vow and then from that point forward refers to the man or woman as himself, right? The individual, that's all he's saying, right? If we, if we try to superimpose anything after that, that's our fault, not God's. God, God is not that shallow in his approach to communication. We get really petty, about those things. What's interesting is people that behave this way, you know, I, I hate to ever refer to psychologists in their an- analysis of things, but the people who, re- re- you know, react with such petty remarks are usually people that have suffer- suffered from tremendous abuses, right? They, 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 they are, they're fragile, 
and, and they are uh, quick to react. They have you know elements of post-traumatic stress disorder. And they're like, I'm not mocking that. I'm saying our whole culture has experienced this sinful abuse. And we've come to the place where now that's where we're functioning. The, the problem is that our culture wants us all to act like that's normal. Like we, we should all just have this ultra sensitivity to, you know, being politically correct on every level in every front. Uh, what we need to identify is how sick and wrong that is, and, and not to be callous and hard and difficult, but to help one another heal so that we don't have to react and overreact to everything so dramatically. Uh, Christ is here telling us about something that's very significant in the life of a believer. So he comes to the point of intoxication. Now, within intoxication, our culture's gone berserk with this. We have ways and means and methods of becoming intoxicated that no one has ever considered before. <clears throat> you know, it's astonishing to me to watch as... You know, right now, Canada is doing its best to legalize a whole class of psychotropics, which are nothing more than hallucinogens. And they start with the psychodine that's in mushrooms, and they're trying to legalize that for medical treatments, right? Because marijuana has been deemed as a treatment for medical ailments. And so certainly mushrooms must have a use, you know, psychedelic mushrooms. And well, if that's going to be the case, then LSD also. And now we're moving into, let's legalize a whole bunch of things. If you're not aware of it, <clears throat> there are a whole group of people that want to legalize all drugs. Just, they view the problem as law enforcement, right? It, you know, weeks ago, as I make this presentation, People probably thought, well, that's Pastor Will. You know, he's being overreactionary. But now you're watching the news and seeing people want to actually defund the police departments, right? Let's get rid of law enforcement. That makes sense. Imagine, imagine what your community would be like without law enforcement. No one there. You don't have to imagine, do you? It'd be like New York City, where they're arresting people, and they don't even have to post bail. They just do the paperwork and release them right back to the streets. You know, when you've got a criminal, last week, New York City, who in 14 hours is arrested 13 times, there's a serious problem. You know what I'm saying? Just revolving door. I mean, you just pretty much walk the guy in the door and tell the nearest police officer, just follow that guy. Because you're going to have another arrest in, in less than an hour. Our culture <clears throat> is moving a direction in regard to intoxication that is stupid. And I mean stupid. Uh, you know, this whole this whole thing about CBD oil right now, everybody's hearing about the magical work of CBD oil, right? And, and I hope I'm offending a bunch of you in this room if you're using it. I hope so. Because here's the thing. You don't know what you're taking. 
You do not know what you're taking. There's no regulation on that right now. Oh no, it's made from hemp will. It's perfectly safe. How do you know that? Okay, because right now there's a whole bunch of marijuana harvesters that are using the stem and the byproduct to distill and create CBD oil. At random testing, they're finding marijuana content as high as 25% with THC on board. Some people using CBD oil with as high as 25% THC on board. You know, others have none, zero. The point is, it's unregulated. What, why even use it? No proven factor regarding any of it. <clears throat> so many other areas we could do. Here, right, we've got just the grape. What's the big deal about the grapevine? I mean, <clears throat> anybody ever have grape leaves, right? Hang out with the Greeks and they make grape leaf dishes. There's some really good dishes made. What, what, what's the problem with eating grape leaves? God says, well, if you're going to be my servant in this regard, right? Not all believers have to take this vow. But if you're going to be my servant in this regard, don't have anything to do with anything associated with this. <clears throat> I want to encourage you today to just think about this in regard to intoxication. That's, that's what I want to uh, do for you, is just encourage you to think about in regard to intoxication. If you take an adamant stance against all of these things that our culture is embracing, and you find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and you're able to tell your neighbors, everything that I need, I have found in Jesus Christ. Would you agree that that's what the world needs? There's so much that our culture is engaged in that <coughs> has something to do with intoxication. And now they're realizing how detrimental it is. You've heard me talk endlessly about the pharmaceuticals that are being used and prescribed. And now they're discovering, well, we really have messed up our culture and our society. Who's going to help recover that? Who's going to cause this culture to find its way out from that? Right, we, we're taking children who are diagnosed as having attention deficit disorder and we're putting them on Adderall. Look, <clears throat> I don't want to show of hands in this I do not want to show of hands in this room, right? But there are people in this room who sought out Adderall as a way to get high when they couldn't find cocaine or crystal meth. Think about that. And we're giving this to children. A way to get high. When you can't find, okay, like, <clears throat> if I told you that, like, oh, you know, crystal meth users, 
And you kind of go like, oh, yeah, I know what kind of trouble that, you know, cocaine users. Oh, okay, I get who those people are. You know, Adderall users, does that automatically click in your head as all being the same? <clears throat> Hyperactive child, right, in the 70s becomes attention deficit disorder child in the 80s and 90s. Little Johnny wakes up in the morning. He's off the wall. Mom gives him dose number one. He goes to school, and quickly his body compensates, and by noon, he's off the wall again. So he goes to the nurse's office and receives dose number two. And that worked for a while until his body compensates, and now he comes home, and in the afternoon around 3 o'clock, when he's alone with his sister, he's off the wall and you know, abusing her, terrorizing the dog. So introduce dose number three. And he reaches a state that the medical community refers to often as doping, where his mind and his body are saturated all the time, and he's in a lethargic state of messed upness. This is our culture all the time. Antidepressants. Right? Serotonin reputate inhibitors. Right? And many of us have been on Prozac. Right? Lots of other you know, brain inhibiting drugs. Now, here's, here's the basic concept, right? Your brain is broken. So, how we want to fix it is by introducing a chemical into it <clears throat> that interferes with your brain's function. What if I was your mechanic and I told you that's how I was going to fix your car? Your car is broken. <clears throat> it's not working. So what I want to do to fix it is introduce this chemical into your engine that interferes with your engine's ability to function. Right away, you're like, well, that doesn't work. I need you to go in, find the source of the problem, correct the problem, right? No, the answer is further inhibit the brain. <clears throat> I want to talk specifically about antidepressants for a moment. Serotonin reputate inhibitor, right? Because lots of people just stand up and rail against this stuff. And then they act like, oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Haven't done your research. Guess what? I do know what I'm talking about. I have done my research. You start taking serotonin reputate inhibitor. The first assumption is that serotonin is what is responsible for your happiness. Your brain produces serotonin. And they insist that because you're depressed and because you're sad, you don't have enough serotonin in your brain. Your brain isn't retaining the serotonin. So let's stop your brain from getting rid of the serotonin. And therefore, you'll have elevated levels of serotonin and you'll be happy. Okay? Well, guess what? <clears throat> let's calculate how many things in our life make us sad. Right? Does anybody want to, in the room, take a shot? Because, you know, I've only got like a half hour here. Because you could sit here and describe countless things, couldn't you, that create sadness and depression in your life. And it has little to do, or perhaps even nothing to do, with the serotonin in your brain. You know how many young people I've talked to who are now suicidal because of Facebook?
The parents are unaware that they're online with a bunch of people from school who hate their guts. They're the bullies from the playground, and now they're on Facebook, and they are just making your child feel like they shouldn't even live. Literally telling, some of them telling your child to kill themselves. Our culture is wicked. Our culture is cruel. And rather than having the answer of, there is one who created us, who can create happiness and joy and contentment in your life, in your heart, in your mind. Let's introduce a chemical. Now let's talk about that chemical, serotonin, Reputake inhibitor. You got Reputake up inhibitor, whichever one you want to use or you're referring to. Your brain is being stopped from flushing out the serotonin. So the first assumption is you need more serotonin in the brain. They don't know that, right? Because they've never stuck a needle in your brain and sucked out any of the chemical and done a test to determine whether you got too much or too little. And on top of that, they don't even know what baseline normal is. How much are you supposed to have in your brain? They haven't gone through and tested thousands of people and said, hey, all the people that have this much serotonin in their brain are this happy. They are just simply looking at your symptoms. You're depressed. Yeah, you're darn right I'm depressed. My life is a country song. My wife left me. I got fired from my job. My dog's dead. The truck's broken down. The boat sank. You know, I mean... <clears throat> Yeah, I'm depressed. So now we're going to interfere with your brain's ability to function. So, after seven days of taking the drug, your brain has built up a level because it can't get rid of the serotonin inside your brain. It can't stop that forever. It can only do that temporarily. It wasn't designed by God to hold all of that in your head forever. So it starts going through a series of changes, which I will not describe, where it flushes out and reintroduces, and in the end, it's shutting off the receptors, right? you got synapse gaps between nerve endings, and it's trying to conduct a cross signal, and the serotonin is supposed to be helping with all of that. So after it's gone through this whole process, what it starts doing is just killing off the receptors. Your brain literally starts killing itself off. You know what? We got way too much serotonin in here. This dude will not stop taking these pills. And so now we get an overload of all of this electrical signal. So let's just kill off all of these receptors. So, And it isn't like temporary, you guys. It's permanent death. Let's, let's destroy the brain. So then side effects kick in. So you know what the doctor's answer is at that point, don't you? The second prescription. And you get a similar compounding problem. <coughs> so they cycle through that. 30, 60, 90 days, 120 days, right? I've been talking to people. <coughs> been on it for 10 years, 14 years. When they start trying to quit, they're going through a range of emotions in a single day that cause them to think they're insane. 
They are desperate and out of their mind and experiencing a roller coaster ride of insanity and crying for help to everyone they know. The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ has provided for us through his divine power everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. I want you to hear that one more time. Jesus Christ is provided through his divine power everything you need regarding life and godliness. Guess what? There's nothing else. There's only life and godliness. Everything you need is in Jesus Christ and found in Jesus Christ. Our culture is looking to anything and everything else and messing itself up horribly. There's a book published by two of the world's greatest psychotherapists in regard to the use of pharmaceuticals called Your Drug May Be Your Problem. That is an exhaustive medical study about the effects of all these things. People in our culture are sedating themselves with legal and illegal drugs, legal and illegal alcohol, and I do mean illegal alcohol. It's insane what is going on all around us because we've rejected Jesus Christ. We aren't looking to God for the answers anymore. My encouragement from this, look, if here, the Nazarites, so, so think about who the Nazarites are, right? You got Samson, but you really can't put Samson in the category, can you? Why? Because he violates every single condition of the Nazarite. And in the end, he kills himself as a result. But how about a wonderful example? You can go Jesus Christ, who fit into the law, a lot of the Nazarite vow. You can also look at John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet ever born to any woman. But how about the one example that stands out to me? Samuel the prophet. Read the life of Samuel. Led his nation, right? Led his nation into walking with the Lord. Such a beautiful life. Such an incredible man. Confronting King Saul. Anointing King David. Amazing individual. Nazarite. Who has sworn off all of these other influences. Such a terrible thing that our culture has engaged. Oh, well, alcohol's legalized. Look how terrible it was in the 30s. Prohibition. Thank God we legalized alcohol. Really? You should do some research on the numbers of death. Oh, yeah, I've read those. Road accidents. Really? No, I'm talking about emergency room visits. T talk to the people who work in the emergency departments. And see how many accidents, right? You know, young woman that attended this church years ago, her aunt that fell down the stairs to her apartment, landed in the snowbank, and then died of hypothermia. 
locally that happened. Just just couldn't get up, frozen, frozen to death. That that sort of thing happens all the time, everywhere. People just falling asleep, completely sedated, and terrible things happening, accidents and injuries. We're maiming our culture with alcohol. Uh, look 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 at Colorado. They're they're completing a bunch of the studies regarding marijuana. Now they've had enough time to experience it. You know, seven hundred plus percent increase in road fatalities from marijuana. You know, sixteen hundred percent increase in the occasions where legalized marijuana from Colorado was mailed to states outside of Colorado where it's not legal. You know, 286% increase in hospitalized visits of children who have overdosed on their parents' edible marijuanas. Mom eats half the cookie, passes out, right, because half the cookie is six doses Johnny wanders into the living room and there's a half-eaten cookie. What do you think he's going to do? Mom's passed out from six doses. He eats six doses himself. He can't breathe now. Take him to the hospital. Our culture needs a sober church. Our culture needs sober believers who have sworn off everything associated with intoxication. That our sobriety is come from Jesus Christ. Listen, I've run out of time. I want to give you this one verse from Jesus Christ. We're going to have to cover this again uh, next week. I'll try to dwell on this point less. Jesus shares in communion with the apostles, and then says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I have sworn off everything to do with that whole world for your sake. That I can stand up here, And with the clarity and sober mind, right? (laughs) Forgive me for doing it this way, right? Many people come to me and say, like, how do you remember all those numbers? How do you remember those facts? I wish I could do that. Then later they discover that I have, like, one of the largest heads of anyone they've ever known. My hat size is an eight and a half. Twenty-six and a half centimeters around my skull. That's not how much brain in there. God gave me that big of a brain knowing I was going to smoke half of it in high school. Burnout like you can't imagine when I quit doing drugs. My ability to stand here and retain and remember and recite is from the sober mind Christ has given me. The renewing of our mind by God's word. 
Listen, you're right. There's a certain enjoyment in drinking a little bit. I get that people are into that. Right? People hate it when I say that, that sin is enjoyable. They hate that. It's enjoyable for a season, and there's a heavy cost to pay on the other end. Nobody wants to calculate that. They all, they all want to just sit and talk about, oh, we were in such fun, such fun. You lost more than you can imagine in the process. And the sacrifice of simply taking the drink and, like Paul said, pouring it out as a drink offering to the Lord. Yeah, I could participate in it. I'm not going to. I say for your sake. For my sake also. To be able to live out these last days, you guys, with an absolutely clear conscience. To be able to live out these last days and serve the Lord with everything I have. That's the vow I've taken. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink anew with him in his father's kingdom. When I stand in his presence, whatever Jesus Christ offers me to drink, that's what I'm going to take. I guarantee you there will be no intoxication. Guarantee you. People that think like that, oh, we're going to feast and be merry and drink. Right? How about this? How about this thought? Intoxication comes from the fact that what you're consuming is decomposing. That's what's going on. Fermentation is rot. It's a poison to your body, and your body is going through everything it can to get rid of it. I, I want to take my own personal vein here for one moment. I know many of you have nothing to do with this. LSD, that was a big trick of mine for many years. It was a, it was a fungicide originally. Are you aware of that? Dr. Hoffman was working in Europe to create a fungicide that would kill a fungus that was growing on rye crops all throughout Europe. He developed dilysergic acid to thylamine 25 accidentally ingested 300 micrograms tripped for three days that that is so poisonous to the human body uh, ignore the distractions and follow this that's so poisonous to the human body that in less than 20 minutes your body has processed that and flushed it out of your body it's gone you say that can't be true I took it and tripped for 24 hours. Yeah, that's the shock that your nervous system is dealing with for the remaining 18 to 24 hours. That's the shock and paralysis your, your nervous system is going through. That's how deadly and poisonous it is. A thousandth of a gram, that's a microgram. When you took a microdot of LSD, you know, any of you that were doing that stuff back in the day, you were taking one thousandth of a gram. This is the stupidity that our culture is engaged in. Making chemicals for itself. And you read Revelation, and all of these plagues are coming upon the earth, and what's the one thing that he says? They would not repent of their sorceries. The sorcery, the term sorcery is pharmakia, pharmaceutical, pharmacist. 
That's the sorcery Jesus Christ is referring to. We, we need to be sober, you guys. I'll point out again. Whenever, whenever we're touching on a subject and there's been as much distraction as there has been during this message, you got to understand how significant the message is. How much your enemy does not want you to pay attention to this message. Our culture is moving this direction. And not only that we would be people that say, I want nothing to do that, but we would also be the same people that stand up and say, because I have found the answer in Jesus Christ. We don't want to just be the people that say, I have nothing to do with any of that. We also need to be the people that say, because I've found the answer in Jesus Christ. The world needs this message. And it needs people that are willing to make this great of a sacrifice to deliver that message to the world. <clears throat> There's more to it. We'll study the rest of it next week. But I hope you can understand the gravity of what it is the Lord is saying about having a very high level of purity for the world to see and know openly that it's not just an internal thing you keep to yourself. It's something that you openly and publicly display for the world to know and see, right? I, I need to touch on this. Forgive me for the time it's taking. We've incorporated communion in here also. The Nazarite wouldn't cut their hair. So their hair becomes very long. To the point that people are going to say, why is your hair so long? Because I'm a Nazarite. I don't consume anything from the vine. I'm not asking you to all stop cutting your hair and shaving, right? But even the outward appearance attracts attention to what is it that's different about you? The thing that's different about me is my walk with Jesus Christ. The open and outward display that we live a different life. Everybody understand that? Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, I pray that somehow you'd take all of these scattered bits and pieces and put them together in our hearts, that we would understand what it is you're calling us to, that we would be men and women that walked so closely with you that the world would recognize the difference, that our lives dedicated to you would mean something to them. We're watching our culture completely fall apart right in front of our eyes, just disintegrating. Lord, help us to be men and women that are founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ, that stand so firm in the face of a culture that is just falling apart, that our stand would attract their attention and cause them to want to know more. Give us your message in our hearts, our minds, and on our lips, that it would quickly come into their ears, that they would hear of the hope that is in you, that they would hear of the hope that is in your word and in fellowship with you. Lord, may we be your messengers. May we be your servants. 
may we be, as it is said in Revelation, the angels who carry that message to the ears of him who has ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.